Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again as we look at James 3. Now, I think over the last 17 years or so, I've probably spoken on this passage three or four times. But what I know for certain is every time, every time that I come to speak on James 3, someone will say to me in the weeks leading up, in the days leading up, gee, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes speaking on this passage that speaks about people uh, being hesitant about being teachers. It's a phrase that's worth our reflection, this idea of I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Let me take you on a scenic journey of what I mean. If it was a rainy day and I turned to you and I said, oh, great weather for ducks, it's probably unlikely that I want you to contemplate the anatomy of a duck for a long time, but probably I want you to spend more time thinking about just how wet it is today. When you say, oh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that room, again, it's not so much that you're excited that a fly can walk on a wall or that it can flap its wings and fly. You're thinking within that room is something particularly interested, and this little creature is positioned in such a way that will highlight the interest. So when people say to me, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes, they're saying, hey, this passage you're talking about teaching, and you're a teacher, you're uniquely challenged by it. But maybe this very concept will help us get into the passage even further because when James says in the first two verses, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly, there might be something in particular he wants us to understand. Indeed, what I think he is saying is, look, when it comes to speaking, be careful. When it comes to using your tongue, using words, be careful. And gee, you wouldn't want to be a teacher in that sort of circumstance. So whilst this passage is certainly relevant to teachers, it's relevant to any of us who would want to speak. Teachers like ducks on a rainy day, flies in an interesting room, and teachers on a day about teaching, teachers highlight that when your tongue is engaged, you want to be careful. You want to be careful. Why is that? Well, I suspect it's because our tongue or our words might just be the very first evidence of our works. That is, our words might be the first evidence of our works or our deeds. Now, this is particularly important if you've been reading along in the book of James. Last week from James 2.14 onward, James went to pains to illustrate to us that our works, our deeds, our actions are demonstrative of the state of our faith. So he says, look, if your faith doesn't direct your action, there's a problem with your faith. And it's faith that we need to receive God's gift of salvation. And so here he says... Not many of you should be teachers, because if you're a teacher, it's going to highlight your speech. It's going to put your speech in the spotlight. Now, I want you to know that I'm not standing here as a teacher, nor should anyone else who is a teacher fear some greater condemnation. No, Romans 8.1 has told us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you are a teacher, if you are someone who speak, who speaks, be aware that your words provide more evidence of where you're at. Your words are freely evident works for all to see. And so you're in the spotlight. And so there'll be a stricter judgment simply because there's more evidence. Your words 
work as deeds. Your words work as works. Your words, your speech, dare I say your keyboard, is a great place to demonstrate your faith or lack thereof. Your works, your speech, your keyboard is a great place for us to demonstrate our imperfections. So James is right saying few should become teachers because your work is tied to your tongue. I got to say, before I came to this space of teaching this morning, I had all the words that I speak kind of mocking me a little bit. I thank my family who are gracious to me, who know how many dumb things I say at home. And those words kind of challenge me as I come to this space to teach. As I leave this space to teach, hopefully the helpful things I might have shared will judge me through the week and I'll say, hey, am I living up to that sort of stuff? Because our words act as freely available evidence to show where we are at. Your tongue, your words provide so much evidence. It's readily available. And it's a perfect flow on what James has taught us about faith driving action in his previous chapter. And so perhaps the second thing that we should think about is how James illustrates the power of the tongue or our words. James uses three illustrations to show us just how powerful our tongue is as a witness, as one who would testify and testify against us on many occasions. He uses three illustrations. He speaks of our tongue like like he uses horses, he uses ships, and he uses fire in verses 3 through to 6. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. James uses this illustration of a bit in the mouth of a horse to show what a tongue can do. The tongue dictates the direction of faith. When you speak, we get, we receive, us who hear, we receive a comprehensive view of the direction of your faith. That's intense. Our words as freely available actions of our faith offer a comprehensive indicator of the direction of our faith, of where we are depending, of where we are trusting of what we are believing in. James moves on. He says, uh, think about ships, verse 4. Take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants them to go. Now, if my comment on horses saying that your speech is able to give us a comprehensive idea of where your faith is heading and you think, whoa, that's a bit much, just my speech. What about all the other things I do? Perhaps James's second illustration brings a point home where he says, yeah, I know it's disproportionate in influence, but it is. You can get a great big giant ship. Driven along by a great big giant wind or a great big giant engine. But the whole ship, its direction can be influenced and changed by this little flap that hangs out the back of the boat. The rudder, though proportionately much smaller to the whole ship, influences the whole thing. And so by the illustration with horses, we understand the comprehensive direction that our speech indicates. By ships, we understand that, yes, it is disproportionate, but it is so. 
And then finally, in verses 5 and 6, James refers to fire. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue dictates the direction of faith, disproportionate in its influence. And now in this final illustration, we hear of its amazing capacity for destruction. (sighs) Makes me wonder about my life decision to be a teacher. (laughs) Makes us all wonder about if we want to speak. Because it dictates the direction, it's disproportionate in influence, and now with this illustration of fire, we see the capacity of destruction that the tongue has. We can destroy others as we tear them down. And our tongue can even destroy us. The tongue has this terrible capacity to tell us maybe not everything there is to know about ourselves, but the tongue certainly tells us everything we need to know about our hearts. And friends, I find that scary. Dictates the direction so comprehensively, disproportionate in influence, And this amazing capacity to tear down others and even lead us to a space to eternal destruction. The tongue is powerful. Now, if you find that sobering in what James has said, that this freely available thing we have, which is to speech, has such a comprehensive uh, picture and such a comprehensive influence over our lives and the lives of others... Then hold on to your hat because the next point might be even more scary. Verses 7 to 8 tell us that you will never tame your tongue. Hear these words from James. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, before you pledge to never speak again, let's do a little bit of work together. Firstly, let me speak to the people like me out there who are optimists, and let me speak to those of you who are not used to hearing the word no. A really helpful way of interpreting scripture sometimes is to say, what can't this mean? What can't this possibly mean? What can't this be telling us? Now, as I read verse that says no human being can tame the tongue, you know what that's telling me? It can't be saying that I or you, someone out there, can tame their tongue. James is declaring, God is declaring at this point, this tongue, this powerful thing that comprehensively indicates the direction of our faith, this thing that is disproportionate in its influence, this thing that is capable of destroying others and destroying us, can not be tamed. Not by me, not by you, not by any living person. And I want to say, there's a bad side to that. 
or at least a challenging side to that. And I want to say there's actually a grace side to that. Let me explore with you. Here's the challenging side. The tongue can't be tamed. The tongue, James has argued, is wildly powerful and effectual in its influence. The challenge is we've still got to live with them. The challenge is, as speaking people, as people who operate tongues, we still want to live godly lives together. And so you think about animals that can't be tamed. If an animal can't be tamed, it doesn't mean we just give up. No, we work out ways that we can manage life together. And so I want to suggest to you from James some ways that we might think about managing or existing with and hopefully using well this untamable tongue we have. I'm going to do this in three ways. I want to talk about the, the things that go up, the things that go out, and the things that come in. How we speak to and about God, how we speak to each other, and how indeed we speak to ourselves. So we think about speaking to God and about God, as we speak about up-speak, I'm going to call it, James gives us an important instruction earlier in his letter. James chapter 1, verse 13. James says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Friends, there comes circumstances, feelings, societal pressures, and just times of maybe ignorance, where we might want to say things to God or things of God that are easily digested by those around us, that might bring us comfort, that might be less challenging. James here challenges us to think about what we should say of God and what we should say about God. Another part of the Bible, Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says, you must speak what is in accord with sound doctrine. That is, the words you speak about God need to be true words need to be words that are reflective of what God has revealed about himself. The first instruction I think James gives us about how we speak about God is to say the things that are true. Here's a question that I think might be worth asking ourselves when we're going to speak to God or speak about God, regardless of what might be around us. Whose amen do you seek? Who do you want to say, yeah, that's true? Is it you? Is it your feelings? Is it the circumstances? Is it the ears of others? Or do you want God, in fact, to say, Yes, this guy gets me. Yes, that's true. As we speak up, let us ask ourselves the question, Whose amen do I seek? How about when we speak out, when we speak to others? There are pages and pages of scripture that help us with this kind of thinking. But I'm going to limit myself to James at this point. Because James says, as we speak to others, in chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, he gives us some really helpful advice again. He says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. And he says, take note of this, and so we should take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
as we speak to one another, there'll be a drive in us sometimes to say what's on our heart. Now, if you're like me, you're an external processor. My thoughts don't quite form up until I've vocalized them a little bit. That's why I ramble when I preach sometimes. I need to get things out to to, to make it make sense. And that's okay. Some of us are internal processes. That is, we, we think it through very carefully before we'll offer a view, a thought, or engage with others. Here's a really great question for us to ask ourselves before speaking to another person. Who are my words serving right now? The things coming out of my mouth, are they to satisfy the rage and the anger that is in me, which James says doesn't actually serve God's righteousness? Are the words that are coming out of my mouth to satisfy my need to feel safe, even if they tear you down? Are the words that are coming out of my mouth words that I'm going to make everybody wait and have to be quick to listen because I'm fast to speak? Or maybe I'm not speaking at all because until I have things just right, I'm not going to talk. I think there's a challenge here as we use our tongues, as we think about communicating with others to ask ourselves, who are my words serving right now? Or even who are my lack of words serving right now? Is there something I should say that I'm not comfortable to say that really would be an act of service to another? Or is there something I'm saying that maybe isn't helpful, isn't necessary, and maybe isn't even true? Maybe I don't need to say it at all. Maybe I should keep quiet now, be quick to listen, and slow to speak. James gives gives us some help about managing our tongue as we engage with others. James also gives us some help about how we speak in. You know, a powerful thing that we do with our tongues is speak to ourselves. How do I address me? How do you address you? You know, I think sometimes as we speak to one another, we really forget who we belong to. The Bible tells us that you're not your own, you were bought. Sometimes we forget that the one I'm speaking to is actually owned by Jesus and is a temple of of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just free to speak to that person the way I choose. Here's what James says in James chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's my opinion that when we speak to ourselves, sometimes we bounce uh, to one end of, of a spectrum. Sometimes we speak to ourselves with words of destruction, and sometimes we speak to ourselves with words of delusion. Uh, personally, I float on the destructive side of things. At least I think I do. So I'm the kind of person who, when I mess things up, I've done myself a great deal of harm by speaking great destructive words over myself. I used to have this saying once upon a time, if I got something wrong, I'd say, I must have a brain the size of of a pea. And then I'd go further, I must have a brain the size of an ant's head. I must have a brain the size of the brain that is inside an ant's head, and so on and so I'd think of things smaller and smaller to shame and insult myself further and further and be quite destructive in that way. 
Sometimes the destruction can come in in a more gentler way. I want to say um, there's probably someone who needs to hear this. I know I once needed to hear it. Be really careful with the words should, and I acknowledge that word is in this passage, and the word must. Sometimes when we should and we must ourselves, it can be oh so destructive. Oh so destructive. There are times we call ourselves, oh, I'm such an idiot for doing that. And he thinks it's a throwaway word. But it's a word spoken over someone who belongs to Jesus and who God the Holy Spirit has chosen to dwell in. It's when we're mindful of doing that. Because those words are part of that tongue that's like a fire that can cause great destruction. We can hurt ourselves. And if that's not caution enough, sometimes there are little ears around us. Sometimes there are big ears around us that hear the way we speak to ourselves and the way we speak destructive words over ourselves and they assume that those might be the words we speak of them. And particularly for some of those smaller ears, we train them to speak those words to themselves as well. We need to be careful on speaking to ourselves because our words can be particularly destructive. That doesn't mean we need to bounce to the other end of the spectrum where our words can be delusional. And hear me out on this. Sometimes we come up with phrases and we publicize it. Hey, you're enough. Hey, you're worthy. Hey, you're good enough. And don't let anyone tell you you're not. The truth is sometimes you're not good enough. The truth is uh, we have problems with one another and dysfunction because sometimes we're dysfunctional. Sometimes you, you weren't enough. Sometimes I was not enough. The Bible tells me very clearly that I've fallen short of the glory of God and I'm not worthy. Now, before you turn off your set and think this is the most horrific thing I've ever seen on my television, there's a third option that also begins with D. Rather than go to destruction, rather than go to delusion, what if we went to dependence? What if, noting what James has said, to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, that means there is a standard, but the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy. Now, mercy says something's gone wrong here, but we're not going to condemn it. Will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What if we could be a people who, when we speak to ourselves, say, Yeah, I messed that up. I'm loved. The difference, there's a difference between you're enough and you're worthy. That is different to saying you're loved. Because this is the character of God. He loves us and doesn't destroy us when we're short of the mark. He sees when we're short of the mark and loves us anyway. This is called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And we receive this by an act of dependence, an act of faith where we come to God and say, I would love to be in this loving relationship with you, not because I'm worthy, not because I'm enough, not because I fooled you by by, by, by not showing you the times I messed up, or not because you're saying, yes, you condemn yourself sufficiently, so now I don't need to. Instead, can I have this loving relationship with you, God, simply because you are inclined to love and want to love me, even if I don't deserve it? What if the words we speak to ourselves are words of grace, 
words that say, oh, messed that one up, I'll, I must start again. Oh, I did the wrong thing, I must say sorry. Oh, yeah, that's not how it goes. Let's try this one again, let's start anew. Not destruction, not delusion, but dependence upon grace. And perhaps this leads us to our last point. Why would I say it's good that the tongue is untamable? I'll tell you why I say it's good that the tongue is untamable. Have a look at verses 11 and 12 with me. James says this, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Here's what's great about an untamable tongue. Tongues, though they have the capacity to lie, also have an amazing ability to speak truth. And speak inconvenient truth. The whole message of James 3 is you that have tongues, everyone's going to see that we all stumble. We all fall, all fall down. See, we can fool ourselves. There are areas of our life that we can nail just so, you know, where, where, where no one would ever guess you. You don't even guess yourself. And you're like, yes, I've got that nailed. I'm a perfect person in that area. The beauty of this untamable tongue is it continues to testify to me, Shane, you're not a perfect man. And I'm sure everyone watching knows they have a tongue that also demonstrates to them, you're not a perfect person either, for we all stumble in many, many ways. Why is that a good thing? I love that our tongue tells us the truth, helps us avoid a delusion that says, I am now perfect. Instead, our tongue says, I need saving. My tongue tells a truth about me that I don't ever want to forget. That I need to depend upon someone who will love me and not condemn me, who will love me and not delude me, even when they observe my dysfunction. And that person is God. That person is the Lord Jesus. He is the one who is gracious, who loves me, even though my tongue keeps showing him, keeps showing you and keeps showing me that sometimes I'm just plain unlovable, that I'm not perfect. And so maybe this morning as I've been speaking and sharing these things about tongues, maybe uh, it was too forceful and you tuned out when I don't want to hear that stuff. That, that's just that's a hopeless case. But maybe if you were brave, you continue to reflect upon how you speak and how your tongue represents you. And just maybe you were a little bit convicted by that and you thought, well, yeah, I'm imperfect. And maybe you've come to a space where you don't want to be destroyed for that, nor do you want to be delusional about that. And so let me share with you just one more power that the tongue has. I'm going to have to jump out of James to do this, but it's worth doing together this morning. I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. And this will come up on the screen for you as well. Romans says, these are the very words of God himself. If you declare with your mouth, with that tongue that is comprehensive in telling us the direction of your faith, 
that tongue that is disproportional, disproportionate in its power, that tongue that has the power of a forest fire, well, if you would declare with that mouth, with that tongue, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you won't be condemned for your imperfections. You won't need to be delusional about your imperfections. Instead, you will be saved. Here's the rationale in verse 10. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Life with words can be challenging because our words so quickly evidence where our heart is. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to direct your heart in a new direction. To direct your heart not to a space where you judge yourself harshly, not to a space where you delude yourself foolishly, but to a space where you are wholly and solely dependent upon the God who loves you, not because you're worthy, not because you're enough, but because he loves you. And you can receive his love by being dependent upon his good character. His good character shown when he sent his son to die for us. And so I want to lead us now in an act of faith that we'll do with our tongues as we confess Jesus is Lord. I'm going to pray and speak to God. I'm going to confess before you and I'd love you to confess with me too. Let's pray. Dear God, every day, almost in every utterance, our tongues seem to bear witness that we are imperfect and that we stumble in many ways. We think of the times where we've spoken harshly to others or not spoken up when we should have. We think of the times where we've spoken incorrectly of you or even cursed you. Failed to give you praise, the praise that you deserve. We think of the times we've hurt ourselves by speaking harsh words over ourselves. And so now, Lord God, knowing that you are the God of love, the God who doesn't delight in destruction, who doesn't delight in delusion, but delights when we are dependent upon you. We confess that Jesus is Lord. We confess him to be the Lord over our lives and the Lord who saves us and the Lord who loves us. And we confess before one another and before you, God, that you raised him from the dead, that he is not dead anymore, but he lives new life and invites us to live new life with him. And so we put our dependence in him, we ask that by his Holy Spirit, he would direct our words, that he would help us to manage our tongues. We thank you for tongues that tell the truth. We thank you that our tongues continue to show us you can't trust yourself. Trust God who saves. Trust God who loves. And so, God, we put our faith in our risen Lord Jesus now, trusting in him to be the one who would deliver us from all of our imperfections. In his name we pray. Amen.